all of this is 100% under your control. You don't have to be perfect, but it's manageable. It's just managing what comes out of your mouth and what comes out of the mouths of others <laughs> in your business. You're listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience, a podcast dedicated to helping executives train their sales and marketing teams to optimize growth. Whether you're looking for techniques and strategies or tools and resources, you've come to the right place. Let's accelerate your growth in three, two, one. Welcome everyone to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. I'm your host, Chad Sanderson. Today we're talking about how the interplay of message, messengers, and management habits impact opportunity generation and ultimately revenue. Often we focus on this show on one of the elements of this equation. Today we're gonna break down each one and see how they play off of each other, see how they amplify or nullify each other depending on how well they're done. To help us, we have with us Dr. Jim Carr, founder of Carr Associates and author of The Science of Customer Connections, Manage Your Message to Grow Your Business. Jim, thank you for taking time and welcome to the show. Oh, Chad, it's a pleasure to be here and I feel like I'll be talking among my people, work a lot with people who have, uh, they're on the line for revenue and trying to get there without driving themselves and their, their team insane. (laughs) Which depending on what position you have in an organization can be a bit of a challenge. (laughs) You bet. So before we jump in, we always like to ask a random question just so the audience gets to know you a little bit better. So we've all been in this new reality where there's a, a, you know, a lot more remote work. We're working from home. You and I both have traveled endlessly in the past. So now we're home more for better or for worse. So curious to learn something that you've been able to reconnect with, with this extra time at home and maybe a passion, a hobby, something you were able to, to find that helps you recharge and level set. <laughs> Chad, I appreciate the, uh, the aspiration, the optimism in your question, <laughs> not to let you down. I did not learn another language or, or take up any new hobby. Uh, the, uh, the household reality in the car household is, my wife and I have three teenage sons, um, the oldest of whom is a graduating senior getting ready to go to college, plus a three-year-old daughter. So um, it's not like we've had extra time. Everyone <laughs> has been home from school, and uh, we've been doing that sort of thing. I, I will say on a, on a positive note, I did resolve to, I was in a decent shape, and I tried to stay in decent shape, but I was not going to make the 19 of COVID-19 being the 19 pounds. Right. 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 So um, I went back to the P90X3 workout series, which I'd done in the past. And it's something you can do about a half hour a day at home for the most part. And uh, sometimes could even work out with, with my sons. And so I'm probably Chad in a little better shape than I was when all of this started. So maybe that. That's awesome. Yeah. Especially when, you know, especially when we live on planes and travel as much as we have in the past, like it's hard. It's hard to be as physically fit or healthy as there's so much temptation. (laughs) So much. temptation. Yes. And just schedules are uneven and the quality of food is uneven and sleep is uneven. So all those sorts of things are are difficult. And when you're on the road as much as we may have been before and We'll see how that's all going to play out. I think there's going to be a, a bit of a hybrid world going forward, but my crystal ball is no more clear than anyone else's. <laughs> right. Yeah, if we only knew who would help. It would help. There's a lot of, all right, what's happening today? <laughs> when we wake yeah. up, where's the business going today? All right, so let's get the started. The only thing I can say, Chad, what I try to follow is if anyone, any supposed expert 
starts by saying something along, if present trends continue or at this rate, just turn them off at that point. <laughs> right. <laughs> because it, it won't continue at this rate. Yeah. And well, and it's like every morning, is it up? Is it down? You know, it's just, it's, it's one of those, all right, we're just riding the roller coaster. Let's see what exactly. happens. Let's see what happens. All right. So let's jump in and let's talk about this common challenge and see if we can add a new perspective. So we all know, every, anybody who's listened to this would know that most sellers, people in the sales profession, are really good at talking about the value of what they provide, whether it be a product or a service. And it's true for any seller, right? Anybody in marketing, you get really good at talking about us, talking about what we're delivering. And it's true of basically anybody who touches a customer, right? But they struggle to message or talk about their solutions, their products effectively, or in a way that, you know, is difficult for others to connect with. And I'm curious to know, it's one of those things I've seen throughout my career, but from your perspective and expertise, what causes this? What, what is it that we're struggling with? What's the real challenge here with that creation and articulation of the message? Well, Chad, you hit on the word confidence and let's establish that that is a chronic issue and a really big issue when you think about whether you call it sales messaging, selling conversations, or just what it takes to, to generate opportunities and revenue. I've seen uh, a number of surveys uh, of B2B sales reps in particular, and in general, their confidence in the message behind their solutions, self-reports of confidence, is less than half of their confidence in the solutions themselves. And that has a, a tremendous number of consequences. So if you're, you have a, a selling team and they're not sure of the questions to ask, what to say, the stories to share, they don't feel like they've got it straight, they're probably not going to engage in the way that they should. And oftentimes uh, sales managers, leaders, company leaders will be frustrated because you know why aren't they getting out there and doing, there's so much opportunity, <laughs> why aren't we engaging the marketplace and it can be that hesitation on, I can have that conversation, but it's not going to go well because I don't, I can't preview, I'm not confident in it. And so the conversations don't happen. But you ask about causes and I, I consider them roadblocks and they're based in brain science and they're based in psychology and oftentimes past assumptions. So the number one roadblock, Chad, to just what you were talking about is our brains which is the most wonderful mystical machine ever. But our brains reward us for things that are comfortable. We get a nice electrical chemical charge from that, which means that we tend to talk about ourselves and our stuff too much. Our brains just draw us in that direction. So it requires some intention and it requires good leadership and reinforcement about how we don't let ourselves continue to drift that way. I'd say a second area that causes some of these problems is our assumptions. There've been assumptions for decades that there's a certain personality type, there's a certain kind of person who's really good at leading selling conversations. Typically, it's the extrovert. It's someone who is skilled in communication, who's had specific kinds of training. It's that person. And a lot of salespeople and customer service people and others inside the company would say, it's that person. And by the way, I'm not that person. But what we've come to learn over time with real salespeople is that extroversion, introversion doesn't really make a difference in terms of effectiveness. In fact, most of us 
personality-wise are in the middle of that continuum. We are what may be called ambiverts or I call the nimble majority. It's more of a bell curve. And that means most of us are naturally wired for the give and take of good conversation, however that's going to be. And even the, the more uh, extreme introverts or extreme extroverts have their own assets. They have their own strong points about it. But the, the real takeaway, Chad, is if you look across not just a sales team or a marketing team, but service delivery, installation, selling partners, whatever the ecosystem is around your solutions or your stuff, is that most of us are naturally equipped to be able to do it well. So we, we need to look at that with a broad view. And I just as a final thing that I, I run across a lot, Chad, that gets in the way is organizational baggage. Some of that's baked in. We have silos and layers and business units all over the place. There may be lack of training or coaching. A lot of people haven't been trained in selling conversations. And so they find themselves then to be frontline managers and they're supposed to provide coaching for their direct reports and they're ill-equipped to be able to do so. So, um, and oftentimes we're back, you know, way down by, well, we tried to do something like this last year. Remember uh, we had this yeah. initiative around so-and-so about uh, engaging higher in the customer organization or this or that. And it, it tended to fizzle out. So the number one thing is our brains, but also I'd say our assumptions and our organizational baggage can get in the way. And so we have to reverse engineer the process a little bit in terms of what will make for good selling conversations and then attack those accordingly. Well, and in a lot of situations, if you think, I think sometimes organizations have set themselves up to propagate this, right? You, you hire, let's just say a sales professional, or it could be services, doesn't matter. You hire a new person and the onboarding process is 95% us, 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 us. This is what we do. This is how we do it. This is our process. This is, you know, these are our products. These are our SKUs. You know, it, it's all about us. And then we unleash these people into the market and can't understand why they're not having these productive conversations because nobody responds to, hey, let me talk about me. Hey, let me talk about me. Hey, let me talk about me. And so have you seen with clients or do when you work with clients, do you approach it in a way that maybe doesn't specifically go after, you know, how they effectively onboard, but helping them understand that at some point at each stage in the revenue funnel, there needs to be a focus on how this message is, is put into the world. And more importantly, do you tailor the approach to say how I'm going to work with marketing versus how I'm going to work with, you know, customer success or the sales team? Absolutely, Chad. What you've described is, is pretty common, certainly from what I've seen with clients and in other organizations. In terms of approach, the first thing I do with the, the leadership is let's take a deep breath. The good <laughs> news is that in order to get much more effective, consistent selling conversations, you don't necessarily need to change your go-to-market strategy. You don't need to turn the business upside down. You don't need to necessarily change your pricing or distribution or your partner arrangements or anything like that. But let's look at the nuts and bolts of those effective sales conversations. This is eminently manageable. doesn't have to be perfect, thank goodness. But if you can manage it and be consistently good, then you will rise above the noise. You will, in terms of against your competitors, do very, very well. But you just need to get intentional, simple, and serious. And I'd say for uh, you mentioned, you know, how do you approach this across sales teams and marketing, 
success and, and other parts of the organization. I do recommend a co-creation type of approach. There, and there needs to be a central source of conversational truth. That's kind of a high, <laughs> like high title I for like this, that. but some sort of a plan, a playbook, a guide that takes, and not a repository, but a guide of here are ideal, ideal clients, here are personas, here are questions to ask, stories to share, evidence of what we do, things that are tailored toward a few specific conversations that are really the priority. And I think if a lot of times, Chad, what we'll see is, is companies will turn this over to marketing or they'll turn it over or it's the CEO has decided what he or she really wants to say. And I want everybody to be able to spout out our 11 point vision statement. You know, this is, <laughs> this is the thing that it needs to be. Um, or there's an agency or some outside party that comes with a new message, sometimes maybe a slogan or, or some mantra that's there. And, and it's not internalized with the very people that you want to deliver that message in their everyday business conversations. So there are a couple of things by being very intentional of having a co-creation mentality. First is that your message itself will be better because you will involve frontline salespeople and marketing and customer success. And I would say other subject matter experts, other people inside of your enterprise, that they will be able to bring you more real words, better stories. They will know the kinds of questions that we need to be ready for and the kinds of questions that we need to be asking in those, those conversations. The other advantage to approaching it that way, Chad, is that you're, you're building some street cred, you're building some momentum for this new message during the creating process, because people are going to go back whether you're doing workshops or group meetings or you, however you, you do that and, and build out your playbook and validate it over a period of a few weeks, they're going to be going back to their teammates. They're going to be going back to their regions and saying, hey, I'm in this, this cool thing. We're really developing something that feels like us and um, is very tailored and very authentic and real. So when it's time to roll this out, you'll have some momentum behind it. Yeah, there's, I mean, there's always, that's kind of a, a change management approach, right? So if we think yes. about, there's the, how do we, how do we evolve the message? How do we get everybody on board with it? I love the idea of co-creation and I am going to, I'm going to go back and listen to this and grab that phrase again, because that sound, sounded very official. It, it, it's not original to me. <laughs> I, I ripped it off from other people. So <laughs> it sounded great though. I was like, wow. I mean, it really resonates. So, but there's the creation of the message. Then there's the change management portion and getting people involved early. 100% uh, 100% agree with you, you know, it's, it's critical, then you've got, you know, the reinforcement, how do we make sure they don't fall back into their old habits. But when you're developing that message part, when you're working on that co creation, you mentioned pulling in people that will have better words or, or things like that. Do you incorporate any like conversations with current customers to see what it was that resonated with them? Or is this really just farming and pulling together the information and, and the expertise that we have internally? Great question, Chad. And I think you need to pull from several sources, ideally. And I will say to, to you and your listeners, this doesn't have to take a year and a half. I mean, you can do a lot of these things, um, a lot of this work fairly quickly. But I certainly, at the first level, because there's this historic disconnect between marketing and sales. So let's break that apart. We, we want to make sure that 
it's not one area delivering something they expect another area of the company to parrot, just to say. So marketing and sales, I would look at, and, and what's the business case and what are the conversations that we want? So it might be, just as one example, that the business goal is to expand accounts, to expand the, the number, the things that you're doing and, and to retain people, uh, retain customers. If that's the case, then I, I want to get that customer point of view, why they're doing business with us, what we're helping them with, what other things they consider along the way and stay ahead of that. Now, it might be you're seeing a problem with win rates or commoditization, that your, your margins are shrinking. You get to, into these beauty contests and, and uh, where you don't want to be as a seller. So then you want to explore a little bit more maybe why you did not get certain deals. Why, um, and, and I know a number of companies will have, you know, win-loss studies and that sort of thing. You want to be able to bring in those data points, those stories that are specific, again, to the business goal that you have, and then the conversations that will be necessary for you to hit that business goal. So I say sample widely. Yeah. Talk to as many people as you can. I mean, the, there's a lot of focus now. We It's almost got to a point where it's kind of a buzzword, but that, that buyer journey, what is, what is the buyer experience from, from first contact when they might be in like a low interest, low awareness state, they're, they're not interested in what you're providing. They're not particularly aware of your company, but then moving them to that high interest, high awareness state where they are engaged. And then all the way through the sales process, there also has to be a connection point of the messaging so that from an early stage prospecting standpoint through customer success, the individuals or the companies that you're working with don't feel like they're dealing with multiple organizations. So there has to be some level of alignment. And I'm assuming this is where the interplay and amplification of these messages come in. Curious if you've seen, and not that I want to throw anybody into the bus, but curious if you have seen where companies have been way out of alignment in that and how you've helped them kind of get to that more consistent amplification of message through the entire process. Well, and we won't mention any names. <laughs> and, and look, this, these are chronic issues. And again, um, it has to do with our, the way we're organized. It has to do with our brains. It tends to, look, it, it's complicated. How we sell and how we buy, especially for high value solutions on the B2B side of things. So it's a messy issue. It's not inaccessible. We just need to break it into some, some simple components. So yes, this happens and it happens to really good companies and really good teams and professionals. That's why you need a good, simple, scientifically sound, practical approach to tackling the problem. Again, knowing that you don't, you don't have to be perfect because you won't be perfect, right, but that's right. fine. So I, I think is a clarifying way of approaching all of this. I tend to think of really good messaging as a three-legged stool. And so think of the, the, the legs of message, messengers, and management habits. A message is you need a, a story, and it's not a story. That's, that's not even the right way to put it, Chad. You need things to say and, right. and share that are conversational and shareable. So I talked earlier about mission vision statements. They're a lousy basis for a, a real selling conversation, a good uh, an everyday business conversation, because they are self-referent and they tend to sound the same. 
across industries and across organizations. But you want something that's really interesting. The, a lot of the emphasis these days on storytelling is a component of that. So bite-sized chunks, things that are relevant to the customer's world, things that you can remember in the moment, and that when they're heard on the other side are understandable and interesting and that can be shared yet again. So there's components of taking what might be, say, marketing language, which is around positioning, and bringing it into sales language and customer language. That's part of, of bringing in different, different people from the organization and, and being really brutal about getting it down into its, um, you know, slimming it down and getting into its right components. The messenger's part is thinking about, it can be your fan base of customers, but it's certainly the other people inside the organization who are gonna be carrying the message. Primarily, proper, uh, probably the sales team, but also maybe, you may have lots of teams that have customer contact, and oftentimes it's at the delivery or the maintenance or um, implementation. Those folks need to have at least some pieces of that message at the ready that they're comfortable and confident in sharing as well. Then the third leg of the stool, Chad, is management habits. Those are the ways that we bake this in to how we meet, talk, coach, reward, support, socialize. How do we get this to be into the fabric of our culture so that um, you know, people will know what to say and they will have developed the skills and the repetition of doing it. And then we'll get back to that very notion of confidence that you, you talked about earlier. Com people will be confident when they feel fluid in it. They think it's going to make them look good and it's going to help them hit their goals. And they won't get whacked if they're trying it and it doesn't go great the first time, right? So we're working on this. Managers are working with their teams and we're all sharing successes and those wins and so it becomes a very um, virtuous circle of a good message, a lot of people who are equipped and confident in sharing it, and then management habits that make this a more or less permanent part of your selling culture. And so that's, I mean, that's a great breakdown on how we manage it internally, right? But the, and we all know the minute we turn around, we, we can manage it as effectively and internally as we want. The minute we turn around and we let people loose, then it's out in the wild and, it's, and it can take on a life of its own, right? So I'm curious how, how it affects you. Like if we have this down, the, the message, the messages and the management habits, if we have it down, how does that impact, amplify, affect things like word of mouth or uh, the concept of, of trustworthiness that maybe a buyer or prospect has or doesn't have with us? Curious, once you've got that down, is it easier to see positive word of mouth happening and, and the trust, credibility and rapport go up? Or is that yet another layer of messaging management that has to be considered? Well, these things certainly are connected. And you just think into the everyday consumer world of word of mouth. If you have a great meal or see a movie as you're Netflix binging during this time, or whatever <laughs> the case might be. And people are inclined to share their experiences with others that uh, they think might benefit and it helps them look good in the process. So if we are feeding a system, Chad, of having the right sort of message and thinking who, who is that fan base of messengers going to be, including your current customers or clients, and channel partners and, and other people taking a nice broad view of it, then we will enable a lot of uh, a lot more word of mouth and interesting in that even in this 
digital world, a lot of recent studies about where word of mouth happens, it still is far more on individual conversations in old fashioned analog stuff than it is through say social media or a lot of the digital marketing. Not to say that the digital side of the house isn't important and increasingly important. We want consistency across that, but it is in those conversations that's where the money is, right? So we want to be able to connect those dots. You mentioned the word trustworthiness, and I think that's worthy of, of just a moment because there are very few absolutes in this business world, but I would say absolutely, Chad, 100% of the executives and companies that I work with say they want something along those lines. They want their teams to be trusted, trusted advisors, consultative, something around that area of, of trust, which we can imagine. There's lots of great reasons why. And it's also the case that trust is a, an increasingly scarce commodity. Yeah. So let me go back a little bit from what we know about consumer psychology and what I see in, in everyday practice as well. So what is trustworthiness really? And how can we avoid the pitfalls and how can we get that right? So I think of a very simple balance uh, that uh, of two things that that comprise trustworthiness. So I think of T equals E plus E. And the T is trustworthiness. The two E's are expertise and empathy. These are related, but they're they're separate. What I what I find is that many teams over-index on this notion of expertise. So expertise being your credibility your credentials, your years of experience, the logo uh, slide that you have, all of that. It feels easier to express that because it, it's objective and we can show it and we're confident in being able to do that. But there's the other side of it. The empathy is our understanding of the customer's situation and what makes them unique and what they're struggling with. Not sympathy, but empathy. And what I find is that conversations are the only means to really build understanding and demonstrate your empathy by sharing a story, by asking a question, reflecting things back. So it's also easy. And maybe this is one of the reasons why, Chad, that, that it is those conversations that drive word of mouth and drive so much of business. A lot of the expertise stuff can be shared digitally. It is your videos and your white papers and your thought leadership and all of that. Again. It's important, a super important foundation, but it's getting into the right kind of conversations at the right time with the right people and leading the conversation in a way that's friendly to the prospect of the customer, helps them solve a problem, helps them address an issue. That's where you will set yourself apart by building that trustworthiness and uh, through demonstrating your empathy. I love it. And it is, I love to hear you say it because yes, everybody listen very closely. People still have conversations with people. It's not, it's not about the social media stuff just by itself. And, you know, I think about my own experience. If I'm looking for a referral or something, I am having a conversation with people that I, that I trust and asking some very specific questions. It's not like a 142 character limit. Something is going to convince me that I've found the right solution. It might point me in a direction, but I'm still going to want to, want to talk to the individuals themselves. So, all right. So let's, uh, let's change direction here a little bit. We ask all of our guests two standard questions at the end of each interview. The first is simply, as a revenue executive yourself, that means you're a prospect or target for other sales professionals. I'm always curious to understand 
when somebody doesn't have that trusted referral into you, when they don't have somebody that you trust saying, hey, you really should talk to this individual, what works for you for someone to effectively capture your attention, build the credibility and earn the right to get time on your calendar? Well, Chad, I suspect that you and I can both tell lots of stories of people <laughs> who get it wrong. Um, and a lot of it is just, you know, diving right into a pitch and and, I, and no, I don't want any SEO. I, I'm just fine. Um, but, but, you know, because we're in this world, I do have a lot of empathy. I have a lot of appreciation for what it does take to be a great sales professional and a revenue generator. It, it's hard. You know, this is a tough job. And so I try to have a little grace. That said, there is a lot of bad practice out there. I'll tell you, I'll put it maybe the, the other way around in what, tends to work and what I appreciate the most. I do appreciate those folks who can combine a couple of things. So the first is an expert point of view. They'll tell me something I didn't know or help me look at a problem or opportunity in a different way. And that comes back to that expertise part. But so right. someone who can can say something. It doesn't have to be provocative. The fact that it's insightful is probably itself provocative. Uh, so I appreciate that part. But the second area that I, I appreciate is, is something that's tailored to me. Someone's done their homework. So they may understand the, the pattern. They, may, they have their domain of expertise, but they also appreciate in an empathetic way that I'm not quite like everybody else or at least I don't think I'm quite like everybody else. Everyone wants to consider themselves to be <laughs> autonomous, right? So that means that the people who approach me the, well, they're not giving me a presentation, right? And just pitching. And they're not trying to force an interrogation on me either. They're not saying, hey, uh, you. how about we schedule a two-hour call so uh, <laughs> I can ask you, you know, 87 questions about your business and uh, we'll see if we might be a good fit. So instead, it's... I actually do appreciate a conversation that would make me feel smarter and can give me something that I think is of value. So if it's not a presentation and it's not an interrogation, uh, it's probably a good conversation. I love it. All right. Last question. We call it our acceleration insight. If there was one piece of advice, if you were limited to one piece of advice, you could tell sales, marketing, or, or customer success people, one piece of advice that you believe would help them hit or exceed their targets, what would it be and why? They can offer some practical and just realistic encouragement. Having a message that that does justice to the value you offer. It's that that confidence issue, that huge gap that we talked about just at the top of our conversation. Knowing this is a chronic challenge, no one can do this well by themselves. And we're in our own bubble. We've got our brains talking to us in the wrong way. But all of this is 100% under your control. You don't have to be perfect, but it's manageable. It's just managing what comes out of your mouth and what comes out of the mouths of others <laughs> in your business. And you'll just need a plan, you, whether you want to call it a playbook or a guide or something that helps you break through barriers, helps you break through the natural tendency to talk about ourselves too much, and that makes it something that's eminently shareable. So it can sound very simple. Conceptually, it is simple, but with a little intention, a little practice and, uh, and staying with it, then this is something you can actually use to set your business apart and grow your revenue faster than you could have otherwise. 
Excellent. All right, Jim, if the listeners interested in talking more uh, about topics we've touched on or learning more about uh, your services or, or your book, where, where do you want us to send them? Well, for the free stuff, um, which is always uh, very appealing, I'd say uh, <laughs> go to my website, which is jimcar.com. My last name is spelled K-A-R-R-H. It's a, a family branding issue and I'm just you know stuck with it. Um, if you can get close, by the way, Chad, I've, I've uh, purchased the domains of most of the common misspellings of my name. If you can get close, you'll find it. Um, I have my own podcast called the Manage Your Message Podcast. And so that's a, a nice resource as well. Um, on the inexpensive stuff, I have, have the book that you mentioned, which you can find on Amazon and uh, the audiobook is on Audible. It's basically on all the, the ways that, that you buy and consume business books. And I break it down into message messengers management and, and offer a lot of tips and encouragement there. Uh, and I would encourage uh, anyone who's interested and wants uh, to connect on, on LinkedIn is my primary social platform, um, platform of choice. So at Jim Carr there would be great. And uh, as long as you're not pitching me uh, SEO services within four nanoseconds of making the connection, I'd, I'd welcome that. Tell, uh, tell me that you heard, heard us here. And, um, and if any way that I can serve as a sounding board or a source of insight, I'd be happy to do that. Excellent, Jim. I can't thank you enough for taking time to be on the show. It's been a pleasure. Pleasure's all mine. Thanks. All right, everybody, that does it for this episode. You know the drill, b2brevexec.com. Share the friends with family, coworkers, anybody stuck in quarantine. And if you like what you hear, do us a favor, leave us a review on iTunes. Till next time, we at Value Selling Associates wish you all nothing but the greatest success. You've been listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show on iTunes or your favorite podcast player. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.